Ben, can you mute me until I get this on? I was, I was, I was caught up in the prayer time and realized after the prayer time, I'm supposed to get up and say something. <laughs> Hadn't put my microphone on. That's all right. Well, we are, uh, we are continuing our, our series on, on sharing and what it means, what it looks like in our day, in our time, um, to share uh, the good news, to share uh, the reign of God. Um, what does that mean? What does that look like in, in, in practical um, application? What are we talking about? Um, I think this is really um, a series, at least for me, that has become important because um, for a lot of my life, I saw what evangelism was and what it meant to, to many people. And it often, in my experience, came with a lot of uh, condemnation, condemnation and judgment and was, was light on good news. Um, and, and so I recognize in my own life um, kind of a, a, a reaction, a pushback against that. Um, in which uh, I, I was reluctant to give expression to why I was trying to live the way that I was. Um, and I was reluctant to give expression to the hope that I found in Jesus um, because I didn't want it to look like that. And um, as I continue in my own walk with Jesus, I find that there's, there, there's this need to give expression to the hope that we have in, in the, both the way that we live and the way that we talk and the way that we speak. And so I, I think this, is, uh, this series for me is, is an attempt to recover some of how we announce and we'll talk about and demonstrate the reign of God in Christ. Last week, we looked at the, uh, the missio day. That's a Latin term that means simply the mission of God. And I defined the, the mission of God as announcing the universal reign of God through Christ, which is given to everyone everywhere. Um, and that is uh, what we're trying to do in that definition is give a big understanding of what the reign of God the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, what that looks like. And that has broad meanings for our lives, for the life of our communities, for the life of the world, for the life of creation. Like sometimes we want to narrow in on the kingdom of God means this one little thing. And I think if you look at Jesus, you look at the New Testament, there's this very broad understanding that God as king of the universe is about redeeming and renewing everything. And so we're going to continue to, to wade through that. Um, I was torn a little bit uh, between this sermon and next week's sermon, which should come first. Um, because this passage in, in John 3.16 uh, talks about um, God, out of his love, sending the Son. 
And next week's sermon, spoiler alert here, um, is that Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so we need to look at the way Jesus was sent, and that should influence the way that we are sent. And so it's kind of a little bit of, you know, uh, the chicken or the egg thing here, which comes first. Um, so you just got to pick one. So this week we're talking about uh, this passage from John chapter 3, verse 16, um, and the things that surround it. As we take a look at this uh, this week, uh, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be pleasing to you, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> this is a passage, I, you know, I don't know how it worked here at Spring Creek or um, at the church that, that you grew up in. The church that I grew up in um, when I was little had a heavy emphasis on memorizing scripture. And when we Penny, this is all ringing a bell for you. Yeah, I, I grew up at the, at the church with, with Penny, and you were, I think, a Sunday school teacher for probably some of those classes, yeah. <clears throat> and, and we had this list of memory verses we were supposed to memorize, and when we could memorize it, when we were confident, we either went to the teacher, or sometimes I think we even came up in front of the church, and we said the memory verse. And when we said the memory verse, we got a ribbon, and then you collected those ribbons, and they went on this... Um, purple felt uh, banner thing, and you pinned the ribbons, and you, you, know, you collected your, your Bible verses that way. And almost always, the first verse that you memorized was John 3.16. And so it's a scripture passage that has been memorized over and over and over by generation after generation after generation, which is beautiful. Um, it is one that I've seen on banners and the, the, you know, on TV screens and the football games. I'm not sure how the two go hand in hand, but you know, that's somebody wants to have that uh, on a banner in the background. That's fine. Um, it's one that we say over and over again, and yet, um, kind of looking through it, I wonder sometimes if we grasp um, what's happening here. And the beauty of this passage, it begin, uh, in John 3, 16, God so, what's the word that comes next? Love. Loved. All right, so you have sermon notes. I, I don't often do fill in the blank, but I think you can handle that one. Uh, it says, God so loved. And I would prefer if you write it all caps uh, circle it, underline it. Maybe you want to pull out your Bible, open it to John 3.16, circle it, underline it, highlight it, do whatever you do. One of the, the most uh, memorized verses. But here I want to underscore that God is motivated in, in his sending of Jesus by love. The, the very biblical, the, the biblical narrative, the, the story that scripture tells from beginning to end begins with God creating a good creation. God breathes everything into existence. He looks down and he says it's good. God creates out of a desire to share himself 
to, to express himself, to, to, to share love. Not that he, he's got love within himself, God, Son, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's love already there. But he wants to express that love. And so God breathes into existence creation. And at the, the key moment, the high point of his creating movement, humanity is placed in the middle of the earthly temple of creation as God's icons, as God's image bearers. He puts them in the middle of this beautiful temple of creation that God has made. And he puts humanity there, created them to be co-workers with the divine, created to, to share deep and meaningful relationship with a personable God, not a God who just, you know, sets it and forgets it, but a God who breathes creation into existence and comes to walk with humanity in the spirit-filled time of the day. God wants to share relationship, meaningful relationship with his image bearers. God's love for humanity then throughout the biblical story, it never goes away. And yes, there are times when you read through the story of scripture where God is angry, God is frustrated, God is, you know, uh, just not happy with the choices that his, his human ones have made. And yet, his love never goes away. God is always looking for ways for his image bearers, for the humans to be restored to relationship. The story tells us how humanity rejects God. It happens with Adam and Eve, and it happens with, you know, the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. And down through history, down through the centuries, humanity has consistently, we all choose to go and do things our own way, rejecting the way that God has designed us to live, rejecting the, the fullness of life God longs for us to experience. We see it in the way that Israel rejects Yahweh as their king, choosing to have a human king instead. As humans, we prefer to try and do things on our own, in our own way, rather than aligning with what would really bring the fullness of life, peace and, and wholeness or shalom. But here told that God so loved the world, and I believe God so loves the world. Again, God is working at being restored to his image bearers and continuing the project from the very beginning of creation to experience eternal, everlasting, whole life. Yet God's central motivation in the creation, in, in sending the Son, in the redemption of all things, is out of love. Out of love. So, kind of bridging the gap to our theme from next week. So our sharing of the reign of God, our expression of God's universal reign also needs to be motivated and characterized by love. 
Sometimes we come with ulterior motives with people. God sends Jesus out of love. And in that love, God becomes vulnerable. Now, we don't like to think of God being vulnerable. And we don't like to think of our own selves feeling vulnerable. Because when we're vulnerable, we might be taken advantage of. And yet God seems to become vulnerable by introducing the possibility for humanity to choose to do things on their own without him. I mean, in, in the very uh, putting in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I mean, there's some vulnerability on behalf of God in that very act because there's the possibility that humans might choose to do things their own way and forget what God has asked them to do. In the sending the Son, Jesus himself becomes very vulnerable. We just had Christmas and you know, we retell the story in Jesus in Bethlehem and follow up that story with Herod trying to kill off any potential rival kings. Uh, Jesus and his, his family, you know, Joseph taking them down to Egypt. Um, that's vulnerability. At least a few times in Jesus' life before the crucifixion, uh, gangs of people surround him and are ready to execute him, and he miraculously goes from their presence. Jesus eventually uh, gives himself up, succumbs to crucifixion on the cross, dying basically exposed for the entire world to see. That's vulnerability because God loves. Paul sums it up um, in the early Christian hymn from Philippians chapter 2. And we hear these words, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, though, who though he, he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. In other words, became vulnerable taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, given to Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." I think God becomes vulnerable. Jesus becomes vulnerable knowing that some will align themselves with the reign of God and others will reject it. Jesus calls 12 apostles knowing that there's in that group of people is those that are going to deny that they know, some that are going to doubt the resurrection, some that are going to betray him. That is vulnerability, entering into relationship, even if you know that things could go sideways. I would make a bad God. I decided that this week. 
Because I don't like to be vulnerable and I have issues when things don't go my own way. I have issues when my kids don't do my will. And we have uh, routines for getting ready for, for school or, or chores. Um, and at, that, at this point in our, in our routine and, and this point in the school year, you know, we kind of have it down. We more or less know what the routine is and what needs to happen every morning. Um, and some mornings, um, you know, some of us struggle to get up and get moving to get ready uh, before the, the bus comes. Um, and I'll say our, our boys know that there's consequences for not getting ready in time. Uh, chief one of those is missing the bus. Um, and yet, uh, I struggle to let them make their own decisions. More often than not, I've decided that they need to be reminded time and time and time and time and time again. Do you know that the bus comes in 30 minutes, in 25 minutes, in 20 minutes? And I just keep counting down. <clears throat> And, you know, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, Jameson, I don't know that it's ever helped for me to keep track of the time, and it has done nothing for my own blood pressure um, to keep track of the time. Sometimes we need to love and let people make their own choices, to enter into that vulnerability. In this example, it means the vulnerability of I may need to be later to work than I want because I need to drive kids who have missed the bus to school. <clears throat> That's rarely happened. And yet every morning, I assume tomorrow morning, I'll get up and you know, I'll try and remind myself of the sermon and tell you 20 times what time it is. Oh, they have off tomorrow, Katie said. <laughs> One morning I don't have to worry about. So parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents raising kids, we learn something of that vulnerability as our kids get older, and we need to let them make their own decisions, and that is really, really hard. To watch your kids make decisions that, yeah, man, I really wish they'd choose otherwise. So I imagine that God experiences something way more than that in allowing the ones that he loves, that he created in his image, that are fearfully and wonderfully made, who are knit together, who, and has to watch some of the choices that we make. What does it look like for the church to make itself vulnerable? To follow the example of Jesus. One, I think the picture of the church as perfect people must die. And we don't have to go out and intentionally screw up to, to put it to death. Uh, we make a mess of things enough already. We just need to stop perpetuating the story or the image that the church has it all together or that we expect people to be perfect when they enter the doors 
of the church. Now, good news. Enough people in our world around us, in our society, know it to be already true that we are not perfect people. And they're often more than quick enough to show us examples of where we've screwed up. But when the church attempts to uh, appear perfect, or if the church appears to heap on the condemnation, people want no part. A number of sociologists have been studying the rise of the duns, those that are done with church. People who are, uh, have had negative experiences, have felt uh, extra heaps of judgment poured out, and they've just decided they want nothing to do with the church. It's interesting that a lot of these studies, they're not done with Jesus. Because in Jesus, they find something beautiful and something that is loving. It doesn't mean that they don't still have brokenness that needs healing. So they find Jesus attractive, and what they're struggling with is the church that claims Jesus and just expresses condemnation. I think the church being vulnerable also means interacting with people who don't look, think, or act like we do who have different religious beliefs, political beliefs, who have different beliefs on human sexuality. And all of this might be a significant challenge for us at Spring Creek. Do we actually have much interaction with those who aren't like us? And this is coming from a a pastor who, you know, personally, this is a challenge for me because my coworkers that I go to work with are followers of Jesus, which I'm so glad for, but I don't have a lot of interaction at work with folks who aren't oriented towards Jesus. But we need to be open to interacting with people who don't think, who don't look like we do. You know, what would our reaction be if someone came in with a sleeve of tats up their arm? Some of us don't know what tats are, tattoos. What's our first reaction? Leviticus something something says, do not have tattoos. Or praise God. Praise God that they're here. God's love sends Jesus to some questionable people and to some questionable places. I think it's a wonderful thing that Jesus ran the risk of being misunderstood by the religious establishment when he ate with sinners, when he ate with tax collectors, when he ate and drank at weddings and parties. He ran the risk of being misunderstood by the religious establishment. When he touched lepers, when he touched the bleeding, when he healed on the Sabbath, God forbid. The ancient idea of sin or uncleanliness was that it could infect the clean that interacted with them. And so, you know, the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the, the religious people didn't want to risk being defiled 
by the unclean. But Jesus seems to flip that and expects that his own holiness is going to change the situation, is going to change the interaction, and that they're going to catch a glimpse of the kingdom by his presence there. So how do we become vulnerable? And I'm not talking about announcing condemnation on folks and letting them decide what to do with it. Um, I, what I, one phrase that kind of kept going through my mind this week, and please, this is not, this is not uh, an indictment of Spring Creek. This is, um, when I say this, this is about the larger church sometimes and the... Um, the vibe we give off sometimes in the church. The passage says, God so loved the world that he sent the Son not to condemn the world. That's what the church is for. I say that tongue-in-cheek. But oftentimes I think we feel like it's our job to convict people of the wrong that they're doing. When I talk about being vulnerable, I'm also not talking about fighting incessant culture wars for society to reject us as out of touch, judgmental, or whatever other um, adjectives they start to use to describe the church. I'm talking about the vulnerability that comes through genuinely loving someone, living life with people, and loving them which means you might get hurt. You might be taken advantage of. And when I say this, please listen, caveat here. Also, we live in a broken world, and and so you can love someone, but that doesn't mean that I'm asking you to suffer abuse. But when we enter into a real loving relationship with someone, we risk vulnerability. Real relationship means being vulnerable, genuinely loving someone and seeking the best for those around us, even if they don't end up worshiping like us, believing like us, or behaving like us. Because Jesus loved the world, and some of the people that Jesus loved denied they knew him, rejected him, and betrayed him. And yet Jesus loved the world. And so we need to actually love people. And we'll talk about uh, ulterior motives in, in, in a week coming up here. So one of the ways that we can enter into that vulnerability is by blessing and eating with people. You walk out this end of the uh, sanctuary, there's some helpful reminders of ways that we can be a people sent by God. We can be missional. We can go to uh, proclaim the universal reign of God through Christ. And two of those are by blessing people and eating with people, sharing vulnerability with someone. We are called to love people, and by extension, that means we need to be with people. Try not to think of vulnerability as all bad. It's linked to intimacy or 
you know, for some of us, intimacy is kind of a, a strange word, um, but it's, it's about being there with people through thick and thin. Listen, this morning, if you're not familiar with this scripture from John, if you're not familiar with Jesus, I want you to hear this. You were created in the image of God. You were beautifully and wonderfully made, and you were knit together with a purpose. And we have all marred the image of God. We've all messed up, we're all broken, and sin has entered into each of our stories. We are a a mismatched set of beauty and tragedy, each of us. But the God of the universe loved and loves you and will continue to love the world and you. And through the vulnerability of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, through the victory that he won on the cross and the ascension, He wants to bring healing to our lives. He wants to fix and heal that marred image of God in each of us so that we bear the image of Christ. Scripture talks about confession and repentance, which is about admitting those broken places in our lives and uh, reorienting, realigning our, our lives with what Jesus is doing. Allow Jesus to heal the broken places in our lives. This morning, if you've heard this passage before, and maybe you've memorized it, you've repented and confessed and are working daily on realigning your life towards Jesus, then you have experienced something beautiful. And you've experienced something of the the beautiful... uh, the beauty and the the vulnerability and the intimacy that God longs to have with each of us. You've experienced the love of God in Jesus. Then you are invited to alert others to the universal reign of God through Christ, through loving people in your own world. Entering into relationships characterized by love. Knowing that some may choose to orient their lives towards Jesus and others won't. And yet you are called to love. Whether they make good decisions or they make bad decisions, love. Loving continually. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but may have eternal, whole, lasting life. May it be so. This morning I'm going to invite you to turn in your blue hymnal to number 102. And would you stand as we conclude with, To God be the glory.